Good morning. Uh, my name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and it's my pleasure to bring to you God's word this morning. Uh, this week, we're starting a new series entitled One Another. And for this month of September, the pastors are going to be speaking about this particular topic as we relate to one another and as we think about the church. As we think about this, I want us to uh, consider the importance of such gatherings of worship, small groups, and all the ministry that we continue to move forward. So for today's passage, uh, I'm going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. This is the reading of God's word. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith, of, of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. The book of Hebrews is written to a set of Christian believers who come from the Jewish faith. They made a commitment to follow Jesus, and yet they were struggling, whether it was persecution, hardships, or simply the cost of being a Christian in their day they were wondering if they had made the right decision. The writer of Hebrews is writing a powerful and convincing argument of how Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than the law, the sacrifices, and even the priesthood. That of all the things that used to be of value and things that they used to hold on to as a, def as a defining mark of their faith, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is better, and that's the theme of this book. What he's also saying to this group of Christians who had now transitioned from the Old Testament laws and now to the Messiah who had come, is that during these hard times, even during times when they think God didn't come through, or perhaps it was too hard to be a believer, a Christian during their day, the message was don't quit. Whatever you think the answer is, whatever you think would be a better life, whatever you think would fill the emptiness, the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better. During these COVID days, I think most of us, we've been spending 24-7 with our family members. And that can be both a blessing and a curse. A blessing because we're with people we love. A curse is because we're with the same people every day, all day long. Not really a curse, obviously, but it's just something that we're looking for change. But most of us have been experiencing more family time than ever. For some of the families with children, I've heard from parents saying that this is probably the most time that they've had with their kids since they can remember. They're not commuting to work anymore. They're working from home, a lot of folks are. Um, and even when they do come home, uh, the kids are home. Uh, there's not many activities for them to go to other than online schooling so far. 
When I drive around or walk around with my family in the evenings after dinner, we see more families out for walks. Uh, we, we know more families are eating meals together. Uh, there's more movie nights. There's even more family devotions and prayer times. And even for my own home, uh, we've been praying at least once or twice a week just to lift up those uh, prayer requests that we receive from family, from friends, and church members. Ironically, on the other hand, though, the family of God, the church, has been kept from meeting together. And for the past seven months or so, we haven't really been able to gather as we used to. And it doesn't seem like we can, at least for the foreseeable near future. Our times have been limited to YouTube on Sundays and Zoom meetings uh, for everything else. But perhaps more so than just this difficulty of meeting online is that I want to exhort you and encourage you to not neglect meeting together. And this, this significant call comes to us in this passage. And, and I want us to think about the ways we can encourage and stir up one another as we think about the challenges that face us as a church. I want to do this in the form of a question and answer, kind of like a catechism. And I also want to talk about it in the context of the family. So the first question I have is, who is this one another when it says stir up one another? The answer is, this is about God's family. In verse 19, it says, therefore, brothers. That means there was a, a lot of things said to lead to this conclusion, and a lot of that dealt with all the work that Jesus has done, all the work that he alone had fulfilled for our forgiveness, for our redemption, and our reconciled relationship to God. But after the therefore, it says brothers. And this word for brothers means from the same womb. But obviously, the writer of Hebrews isn't saying that we all came from literally the same womb. But this reference of brothers, this brotherhood, which includes sisters, obviously, is an understanding that we all have a same and common family. This is, this is an important understanding during this time that when we think about the church, when we think about gathering together, we're not talking about gathering together with strangers. We're not talking about joining a club or an organization. This is not about a program or some type of a spiritual health club. This is the family of God. And I want us to think about one another in that way. It's the core identity of all that we have come to define ourselves as now. And make no mistake, this is... this really means that if, all, if you're a believer, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have found forgiveness and reconciliation with God, and if you have confessed him as your Lord and Savior, then you belong to this family. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, John reminds the church, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. What we are as Christians by our new birth is an identity that has forged, been forged together by the blood of Christ that we are a family. And when Jesus was told, for example, that his earthly mothers and brothers were outside waiting for him, in Matthew 12, verses 48 to 50, Jesus says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
And then he says, and he turns to his disciples and he says, here are my mother, my brothers, and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus does here is not to diminish our earthly families, but it is to, it, it is to elevate and to see the glory of a family that will exist forever. And it is to understand that when we look at these people called believers or fellow Christians, that they're not just Christians by title, but they are family. The reason why I say this is because even during these times of hardships, whether it's COVID or any other hardships that come in life, the one thing that becomes central to everyone's ability to move forward and thrive is that we have family. And one of the ways that we here at Christ Central want to continue and promote the gathering of this family is through our small groups. Pastor Daniel just talked about and announced that signups for small groups will, will be starting next Sunday. Uh, this Sunday, actually. And that many of you might be thinking, do I have time for this? Um, is this important enough for me to go ahead and register and join? Um, I may not even know a lot of the people in, our, in my small group, maybe not even one person. What if I don't gel with the group or even the leader? I have so many things I could be doing with that time. And if this was a different organization or some other club, I get it. But I want to encourage you to remember that we're talking about getting together again as a family. That as believers, that you are a part of it. And that we need one another. And so this call to the Hebrew Christians were... It was a call to them to understand that they are brothers now, not just in the laws, but now through Christ. Secondly, a question that we want to think about is, where is home for this family? And the answer is, wherever the family gathers. In verse 19, it continues after, therefore, brothers. It says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and then verse 21, it says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. As you read this text, the question is, where are we entering? Where are we drawing near? And, and how are we to think about this priest who is over the house of God? You've heard the phrase, the, the home is where the heart is. But here the text is helping us to understand home is where God is. And that what the believers are called now to enter into or to draw near is to draw near into the presence of God. And the house of God is not literally a house, but it is the household. It is the people of God. And as the people gather together, the difference between a house, which is physical, a physical location, a physical structure or building that can be purchased, sold, remodeled, or even torn down. A home is a place of peace, of love, of unity, of agreement, even of birth. And so our home is where the family is before the Father. For the Old Testament saints, home was in the desert when they wandered together in the wilderness. And for many of us, when we go on a vacation, home for a time being can be a hotel room. It can be a temporary apartment as you transition from one house to another. It can even be called a house for the time being until you move to another house. But home is something that you cannot tangibly give an address for. 
And the same thing as the people of God are called to enter into as well as to draw near into the very presence of God. I know one of the challenges these days is that we've been worshiping at home in front of a TV. And I think one of the other challenges is that small groups aren't meeting face-to-face, but we're meeting online. And I know there's a lot of people who perhaps wish that that were not so. But I know that irregardless of the medium by which we meet, I want us to understand that when we do meet and when we do lift up our hearts to God, that becomes a beautiful place where God's people meet together in his presence. What's interesting about this particular passage as it unfolds here, as the writer of the text says, that this was not always the reality. In fact, the people of God could not enter into the most holy place. In fact, it was separated by a curtain. And, and what the writer continues to express here is that this presence of God used to be unaccessible. The people of God used to worship at a distance. They were never allowed to even draw near. But now we can draw near. We can enter into a place that was, because of our sin, forbidden. But now through the blood of Christ and the body given for us, the curtain is torn and we're able to enter in. We're able to come into the presence of God. In my lifetime, I've seen the curtain, the iron curtain of Russia fall. I've even walked the Great Wall of China. I've heard about the Berlin Wall in Germany come down. But I think the most impactful barrier that I've ever seen come down or read about is really this. Although I wasn't there at the time, obviously, when Jesus did what he did, he broke through the barrier of what separated a holy God from sinful people. This chasm of sin and God's holiness was uncrossable. It was a distance that was unfathomable, but Christ bridged it. In the Old Testament days, the high priest would stand in the gap, and he would be the sole representative between God and his people and God and the people before God. But it was an imperfect representation because he himself was a sinner. And so he would have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins and then go in and offer a sacrifice for the sins of God's people until the final and ultimate high priest came. He didn't have to offer an animal. In fact, he offered himself. And by sacrificing his own body and shedding his own blood, this finally appeased the wrath of God. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why we can rejoice with the Hebrew Christians, even in the book of Hebrews, and rejoice in the fact that whatever life was before, it is much better now because of Jesus. And that whatever we might have looked for in the past, it is still here because of Jesus. To draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. This true heart, this trueness, speaks about the nature and the name matching. Before, our nature was evil, and our nature was sinful, and now we've been made clean. Not because we were so righteous, but because Christ was. 
And because of Christ's sacrifice, now all those who have a faith relationship to him are now made clean. Some say this is a beautiful picture of baptism. Sprinkled clean and being cleansed in our body. That this picture is a reminder of what Christ did for us. Not only in baptism, but also in communion. When we come to the Lord's table and we remember who we are because of the blood that was shed for us and the body that was given for us. What this means is that every time there is a reluctance of the heart to draw near, whenever there is a decision, should I worship God this morning or not? And then you think of all the other options that you may have for that Sunday morning. Or maybe that that night for small group, you're thinking, man, there's a game on, or maybe I could grab a different meal or whatever the case would be. When you're trying to make that choice, I want us to remember together that this choice wasn't always available to be able to draw near to God together. I know there's some people during this season of being apart have probably drifted into some behaviors of sin or maybe even some behaviors of just being distant from God altogether. Maybe it's been a while since you actually sat and worshiped God even in front of a TV. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been part of a community, a group of believers. I want to encourage you to draw near to God. And as you draw near to God, draw near to God with God's people. That it's a healthy and wonderful and even a blessed opportunity. I want you to also know that because of Jesus, there's no such thing as being rejected. None of us will ever be rejected if we try to draw near. The fact that we utter his name, the fact that we call out in his name together. This is the very foundation from which we draw together and are accepted by the grace of God. If you're listening this morning and you're not yet a believer, you're not quite sure where you stand in your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to come to him. The Bible speaks of him as the Lamb of God who came into the world to take away our sins. And sometimes coming to a worship, just even sitting before a TV and watching a worship like this might be sometimes difficult if, it's, if you're sitting with a guilty conscience. And I want you to know forgiveness is readily available. You, we were led in a time of prayer, of, forgi- of confessing our sins and our pardon. And that's always true. So if you would turn to Jesus and call out his name, confessing that we fall short of the perfection that maybe we expect of ourselves or we know that God expects of us, we can find that in Jesus Christ if you would turn to him and trust in him. For the rest of us, I want to encourage you, don't let fatigue, frustration, excuses, or even guilt keep you from the time that we get to draw near. God is the source where we will find a true sense of joy and peace and comfort. The calling is to draw near into the presence of God. I know that worshiping in front of a TV or a small group uh, meeting over some, some medium of, uh, of group gatherings, it's not the same. I understand. I know we all long for in-person worship in a sense. But I want to encourage you, during this unusual season, this is what we have. 
And this can be beautiful if we come together and experience this in Jesus' name. The third question I have for us is, what defines this family? This family, the answer is that this family has foundational truths that we live by. In verse 23, the, the exhortation is given, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, I, as I was reading this, uh, I misstated by saying the confession of our faith, because that's what we expect. That's what we do all the time. But here the writer of Hebrews uses the word hope. Because that's what the Hebrew community was struggling with. They lacked hope. They were struggling with the struggles of their day. And they were wondering, where do we look? What what is awaiting us? And they couldn't see beyond the hardships and the persecution that they were facing as Christians. And what the writer of Hebrew does is he says, "Let let us hold without swerving. Hold fast. It's kind of an imagery that I had to teach my children as they were learning basketball. That as they hold the ball, there's someone who wants to swipe that ball out of your hand. So when you have that ball in your hand, hold it tight so that even if they hit it, it won't come out. And I I know that's a poor illustration of what is called here for us to hold on to our confession. That our confession is a significant way that we're reminded of what we believe, in whom we believe. And as we hear that spoken together, even if it's in our home with our families or together in some type of gathering, that this is an important reminder. It's one of the reasons why I love the Apostles' Creed. That I know that it sounds like we're reading something on a screen, but if you could pause, if you could even remember the creed, and you are able to recite it from memory, and then you could hear even your family members, or, or maybe if you can imagine that there are hundreds and hundreds of people that morning, just even in our church, who is reciting this creed together. That I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And as we hear ourselves say this, it's so important because this is one of the ways that we preach to ourselves. The gospel truth of who we believe in and why we believe in him, that he died for us, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. That we believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We believe in the Holy Spirit who is at work in us and convicting our hearts on a regular basis. That we hear ourselves say this, that I believe this. And it makes an impact in our soul. It also speaks against the lies of the enemy. Because the enemy is constantly trying to intimidate, to create doubt, to lead us more into fear or into distancing ourselves from God and from his people. We combat this when we sit together and know by faith, not because we can see, that we can trust. There's a whole group of family members in their own homes who are confessing the exact same thing. I can, if I can share with you a little secret One of the reasons why I know I sit in the front on Sunday mornings when we used to gather in worship in person, the reason why I sit there in the front, and and many of our pastors have alluded to this, is that we love hearing your voices from behind because it comes forward. But I also love hearing 
the people of God confess their faith together. When I hear men, women, and children speaking out their confession, it's such a beautiful reminder to me that I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who believes this. But there are countless others who believe this as well. Not just our church, but even throughout history, a historic creed that was confessed by hundreds and thousands of believers. But even more so than that, it not only goes against even the enemy's lies of what, what we are, what we're going through, where is God and all that, but it honors God. It reminds us that we are his and he is our God. And so we are called to hold on to this, this hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. The reason why we can remain steadfast and unwavering is because we can be assured that he who promised our forgiveness, our redemption, and that future day, he is faithful. It will happen. To hold firm to the confession, to hold firm to the hope that we have, God's faithfulness. Every day, every week, we know he is present with us. The fourth question and answer is, what keeps this family together? And the answer is that this family is willing to do what it takes to get each other to love or loving and growing together. In verse 24, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It not only speaks about what we should consider, and by consider, it is to think about, to contemplate, to, to, to take some time to think about it and to create, to think of steps that we can take to stir up others. You know, what's interesting is to stir up one another. I want you to picture something that's still, like a, a bucket or a, a pool of water, and to go in and stir it up. It means that there is friction, there is tension, and there is an intentional desire to incite or to provoke. That's what stirring up means. And to stir one another up means that there's someone who has been still or stagnant. And if you see someone who's either going backwards or just being kind of not very active in their faith, that we are to come along and to provoke or stir that faith in them, the faith that God has placed there. That we are to stir them and remind them that we are to live with effort, not with earning, because Christ did that and secured that, but with effort that we are to live in love and in good works. You know, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, um, the Han family had a talk after worship. Um, it was not an easy talk. So in the beginning of COVID, uh, we used to wake up and we, we thought it was pretty novel that we could sit on our couch in our pajamas and worship God at 10 o'clock. Soon, we started worship, waking up a little later, breakfast ran a little bit longer, and we would pause and then start playing the worship around 10.10. 10. But then as 
as we got just a little bit later, our teens had to go to youth group discussion by 11, and we weren't done with the worship because we started late. And they didn't finish either the worship or they didn't even finish the sermon sometimes. And I would be frustrated because they're like, Dad, I got to go. And I said, okay, go. But I felt bad. And finally, uh, there was one Sunday where there was a little bit of a squabbling between my kids. And we felt frustrated. And then after the time, I sat them down and I said, look, from now on, we're going to get up early. We're going to have breakfast. And we're going to sit down together as a family to worship God. And we're going to do this with prayer and with focus because we're sitting to meet the king. I rebuked them for the way they approached and I took full blame because I, as a father um, and maybe even feeling like as a pastor that worship ought to be something that was honored in our home and I let everything slide. And so I said, I'm the, I'm the one at fault here, but I'm not going to be at fault anymore. <laughs> and I want you to know that we want to really honor God in this way. And so I stirred the water by provoking their hearts to remember that this is not okay, that we want and we need to do better. But stirring is not just something that we do alone. We obviously can't do it alone. We can't do Christianity on our own. We can't, we can't help each other if we're not together. And this is why, even perhaps in small groups, it's one of the most important ways that we are able to do this. That if we miss a meeting, we can email or call or text someone. That if someone is struggling, we could check up on them and encourage them. But it's not just to stir up with provoking or some type of uh, inciting a movement or action. It is also to not neglect meeting together, but to encourage one another as we see the day the day of his return approaching, which is our hope. You can't be stirred if you're not together in the body of Christ in fellowship. And we ought not to neglect meeting together. One of the scary statistics we saw during the uh, COVID season is that uh, there's, there's a survey that was taken, um, and it, what the conclusions reached was that there was about a third of the people that would watch their church services regularly and consistently. There was a third that watched their church and maybe some other churches, but there were also a third that didn't watch anything. And what's scary is that given this choice, if you make that choice once to not meet together and not worship God or not attend a small group, then it becomes easier and easier to not meet again. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says here, even to the uh, Christian uh, Jews back then, and I say it to us today, let us not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. This begins with one, one experience and it leads to a recurring experience and activity that once used to be normal but is no longer normal. And that's what the word neglect here means. So let us consider, let us think critically how we can stir one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together, but meet together regularly so that we can encourage one another and all the more as that day of his return draws near. I want us to remember that this is not just a negative thing, but an encouraging thing, something that we need. 
if we could be a, a, a self-motivator and do this on our own, we would, but we can't. It's why God gave us the body of Christ and community and family. We all need encouragement. Um, in our home, uh, one of the things that uh, my wife Jennifer decided to do, um, because a lot of times uh, she would see things that need to be fixed or done better, and she would say those things, but she decided, you know, I need to give words of encouragement. So what she did was she bought these little uh, booklets uh, and for Josh and Elizabeth and myself. And part of her daily disciplines is to try to write something encouraging in them each day for all three of us. And I've caught her many times falling asleep with the, with the booklet open. Um, this is what it looked like. I brought it with me. I'm not going to open it up because this is for me. But I share this with you because something as simple as buying a little notebook and writing words of encouragement or sending a word of encouragement through an email, a text, it's so uplifting. Just even recently, um, as I meet with uh, people who've asked for prayer, um, I would always say, I would hear their struggles and I would say, may I pray for you? And they would say, yes. And even through a phone call, I would hear the sniffles of someone in tears because it's just been so hard. And they miss meeting together. And to hear someone pray for them was just so encouraging. If you're in a place of struggle, if you're in a place of maybe even sadness or depression, I want to encourage you not to neglect meeting together. But I would encourage you to sign up and join one of our small groups, our communities, that will meet together on a regular basis. We need this family. We need one another. And we need these times together. So what can we do to help one another? I have three suggestions. First of all, personal devotions. Why? Because self-care is needed so that you can help care for others. If you're not strong or able, then you can't help someone else. If you're in need, just like someone else's need, then you need someone else to help you. What you do alone in your time with God is so important so that you have the strength to be an encouragement to others. During this COVID season, um, as we have been isolated from the church members, it's important for us to develop this discipline and this training of being able to meet with God regularly. It is a daily and regular and consistent time with God that I want to encourage you to consider so that as you experience time with God, that you can have the strength, therefore, then to offer uh, something, a passage you remembered or a, that you read that touched your heart, that you could share it with someone else and that you remaining strong in your faith offers the ability to offer help to others. And this season, um, it is so vital that we stay connected to God first, that we draw near to him in times of devotion and prayer, to spend time in his word on a daily basis so that we're eating not just food, but we're eating the words that come from God. The second one is fellowship. Now, this is something we do together in the name of Jesus. The true definition of fellowship is not uh, a sports fellowship or a barbecue fellowship or a bowling fellowship. I know some people say, you know, I don't like bowling. I, I understand that. Um, 
I want to encourage us as a church to try to take away that first descriptor. If you would like to go to a picnic, let's call it a picnic. If you'd like to go and go bowling, go bowling. But fellowship is something much more than just a general gathering. It is a gathering of God's people under the very name of Jesus Christ to share their common faith in a significant way. That is expressed clearly in worship, and that is also expressed in times where they meet together in small groups for fellowship, for encouraging one another, for teaching, for learning and growing together. That this is the common place where we need to share constantly and more often. And I hope that that would be a part of your life in the coming months. Uh, we don't know when COVID will end. We don't know uh, how long this will go. But however long it goes, I hope that we will continue to come together in small groups, in our worship, even if it is in our homes, and to come together under the name of Christ. The third one is worship. And I want us to understand that worship is, uh, as, as it is on the first day of the week, it is a wonderful way for us to begin our week and understand what it means when we celebrate the hope that we have together. It is, it is that understanding of who we are, what we have in Christ, and, and as we worship, I hope that it's something, remember that it's something that we give. It's not what I received that Sunday. It's not whether if I'm blessed or not by the message, although I hope that happens. But it's something that we've come to give to God. And as we give to God together, it is our hearts being thankful and celebrating and worshiping and loving and maybe even crying at times in his presence. I want to encourage you not to neglect worship. I want to encourage you not to neglect uh, the small group fellowship. And I want to encourage you not to neglect coming personally before God in your own times of prayer and devotion. I've thought about this and I wanted to share a thought and it's, and it's this, that faith thrives in hardships and suffering because genuine faith can't quit. There's no place to go. Where will we go? To whom will we go for help? You know, when, in John 6, when Jesus said something very odd and peculiar, when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, the people who were following thought, this is crazy. I mean, who can, who can do this? And he didn't explain himself. And so many of his uh, disciples, other than the 12, left. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, and to the 12, he says, are you, are you going to leave too? And Peter replied, where shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. What Peter was saying is, I don't want to eat your flesh and drink your blood, but you're the Messiah. I got nowhere else to go. That means if there's no other option, it means we can't quit. And he won't let us quit. He who is the author will be the perfecter of our faith. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day that comes. And finally, I want us to remember that the one makes another matter. 
We don't gather because we just like each other or we know each other. There are a lot of people at CCSC that I don't know well or I don't know their names. But why they matter to me is because they matter to Jesus. And because Jesus loves them, I'm called to love them. And because Jesus cares about their faith, I care about their faith. It's not because I have a title called pastor. It's not because of that. Even if I wasn't a pastor, even if I wasn't an elder or deacon or any hired uh, uh, position or office in the church, that we as Christians should care for one another because that person matters to Jesus. And whatever matters to Jesus matters to me. And they matter to me because he shed his blood for us. He gave up his body for us. And he made it so that we can become a brethren, a, a family of men, women, and children who are committed to gathering together, no matter how hard the days are, to remember that Jesus is better, that the most beautiful and comforting place is not a location, but it is simply to gather as his people, in his presence, wherever that may be. I hope that we will be encouraged to live, to love, to do good works, to hold fast, and to draw near as a family. And as we do, all the more as we know his return is coming soon. I hope that you will remember that signing up for a small group is not just signing up for an event or an activity. It's remembering to draw near with God's family. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this Sunday. And as we start in September and as we continue on in this series of one another, may you remind us the importance of coming together and remembering one another our confession, our love for you, and most of all, what brings us together and when we do gather together, that we won't forget the things that we believe in agreement and the time that we spend may it be beautiful in your sight. Lord, would you help us so that this coming year in this season of small groups and worship, may it be sweet in your presence and may it be an encouragement and a strength to your children to your family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.